the time that she was just a little girl, all Elaine ever wanted was to be a mom. And now she is. And she has three little ones, all under four, all under her feet, all day long. And it's harder than she thought it would be because she's really, really tired. And she doesn't like the way she responds sometimes to her family. And it's harder and it's different and it's not what she expected. For over 20 years, Glenn had kept the same routine every day without fail. Every weekday, he worked his job. And he worked hard. And his job defined who he was. But now all of that is changing for him because retirement is in his near future. And although he's hopeful about the future that's ahead, he has this certain uneasiness that he senses because things aren't going to be like they've always been and everything's changing and he's not sure what's it going to be like when I go from here and cross over to this kind of other season of life. And then there's Melissa. For her, time is, is running short. What she does not have is time. What she does have is a lot of pressure Because everyone is pressuring her to make a decision. Her family, in particular her parents, her friends, her teachers, recruiters. They're knocking on her door. They're calling. They want to know what decision are you going to make. Are you going to stick with the job that you have? Or is it the right time to go back to school? And if so, what school will you go to? And she has this pressure. She has very little time. She has lots of pressure. She's not sure what to do. She just knows she's in over her head. And how is she ever going to make the right decision? And then there's Steve. All Steve feels is numb. And the tears don't come anymore. And the pain seems to have just emotionally drained him. He meant his vows when he stood at the altar. But apparently they lost value to her. Now he's left alone. She's moved on. And there's a flood of emotions that wash over him. And he wonders, how am I ever going to move on into this next season in my life? And we talk about the new parent, and we talk about the soon-to-be retiree, and we talk about the graduate. We talk about the individual who's just recently gone through a divorce. And when we think of those scenarios, what do we see? What we see is that they all find themselves at a crossroad. Find themselves at this place where they are going from where they were to what is next and what is ahead for them. Some of these come with energy and excitement. Sometimes they come with fear and uncertainty. And we find ourselves in those different places. And many of you may be there today and that's actually where we find joshua and the children of israel in the story that we'll look at this morning so if you have your bibles turn with me to joshua chapter 3 and we are going to look at what many historians and theologians would say is the most important part of this whole book in fact many would say and, and this seems odd to talk about when you're only three chapters in but that the climax of this book actually happens right here in joshua chapter 3 Here's why. We're in a series of messages called Promised Land. And this series is based on this thought, this idea, this premise. That the people of God are created to live in the promises of God. That God's good things, the things that he has for us, his grace and his promises, his favor. That that's there for us. So the people of God are created to live in the promises of God. And what we see in Joshua, the the whole book as we're walking through this, is how physically God's people after they left captivity, after they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, how they moved into the land that God had promised them hundreds of years before. That's why Joshua chapter 3 is so significant. If you're not familiar with the history of Israel, here's, here's how it kind of plays out. If you, if you go back to the book of Exodus, 
For 430 years, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They, they were servants, they were slaves, they were in captivity to the Egyptian people. So for over 400 years, that was their identity, that's who they were. And then if you remember the story, God called Moses to lead them out of captivity in Egypt. And the promise was that he would take them into a land that was prepared for them. The promised land. But after they got out of these 400 and some years of slavery in Egypt, then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a nice vacation, isn't it? So for nearly 500 years, they were either slaves or wanderers. But that was never the promise. The promise goes all the way back to Abraham, hundreds of years before this, when God said, Abraham, I have a land for your people. I have a promise for your people. It is a place that's prepared for them. And that is where I will take them. That is where they will go. And so nearly 500 years later, after Moses' death, Joshua now stands with the children of Israel, ready to go into the promised land. Now there was a barrier that divided where the Israelites were, from the land of promise where they would go into. Much like in, in our time, it was a river. If you've ever driven south on 75 and you go through Cincinnati, what, how do you know when you've crossed out of Ohio and into Kentucky? It is the Ohio River, right? It's, it's a boundary. Well, you thought I was going to make a joke, didn't you? And um, not going to. So it's, it's the Ohio River. That's the boundary. Well, this worked the same way for the Israelites, right? The Jordan River was there. They were on the east side of it. The promised land was on the west side of it. So for them to get into the promised land, they had to cross over the Jordan River. What's interesting is the time of year that God called them to do this. Typically, the Jordan River is is fairly calm. In many places, it's almost like a creek. But not at the harvest time, not at the flood stage. Because when the snows would melt and the waters would come down out of the mountains, the Jordan River would go from this calm river into a raging rapids, especially where the Israelites were about to cross. So this is the background. This is the history. And crossing from the east side of the river over into the west side of the river would take them into the promised land, into the place where God said he would give to them. This was huge. This was, in a certain sense, the climax of the whole book, the history of Israel up to this point. This was the Super Bowl. This was it. This is what it all came down to. And it leads to the things that will come. We're talking about how do we live in God's promises. And over the next few weeks, as we get to Joshua chapter 5 and 6 and 7, we're really going to unpack this. And how do we find breakthrough in our lives? How do we find deliverance? How do we find hope in the things that maybe we've been wrestling with? And I would really challenge you. that for many of you, there may be something. When we talk about the promises of God, it's a relationship. It's a financial thing. It's a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. There's something that kind of resonates inside of you. We're going to really look at this over these next few weeks. And I I would challenge you to begin to ask the Lord, what does he want to do in your life as we move through this passage in Joshua? And we come to this point where they are crossing over, where they are going from where they are to where God wants them to be. And the truth is, we see it in a physical sense in Joshua chapter 3, but for many of us, we experience it every day in a personal sense. So let me, let me define this for you. What are these moments then we cross over? A crossover moment is an opportunity from God to move forward into his promises and plans so that you may be blessed and his kingdom advanced. Let me read that again. A crossover moment, if we were to define it, is an opportunity from God to move forward into his promises and plans so that you may be blessed and his kingdom 
advanced. I know that's a little wordy, but, but here's, here's the idea in that. That God wants to take you from where you are to where he desires for you to be. It's in his plan. It's in his promises. He wants to bless you as a result of that. And ultimately, the point is that his kingdom, his will, would move forward. So there are those crossover moments that come our way. Sometimes it looks like transition. Sometimes it looks like blessing. Sometimes it looks like something's being fulfilled. Sometimes it may even look like a loss or a tragedy. But there's these moments that we come upon. And we've, we've highlighted a few of them today. Retirement, parenthood, and divorce, and graduation. We've hit these different seasons. But let me, let me give you a, a thought because I think it goes a lot bigger than this. Before we jump into the story in Joshua 3, let me, let me share with you three observations about crossing over. If you are at a point where you need to cross from where you are to where God has you to be, here's three things I hope you'll remember. Number one, life is a series of crossover moments. Life is a series of crossover moments. One after the other. I think sometimes we think of them in the big terms, the things that we celebrate or that we grieve. Actually, I believe that these moments come to us every day when God wants to move us forward in what he has for us. Here's here's the truth. It starts with birth, doesn't it? And death is the ultimate crossover moment where we cross from death to life. And so I hope you'll consider it this way. For many of you, you're probably sitting there thinking, look, my my life's pretty tame right now. I'm not really worried about making some kind of big change or crossing over from one thing to another. I'm just kind of interested in lunch. And, and so what, 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 this doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. I'm just going to kind of chill out for a few minutes and think about football this afternoon. I mean, that might be where you're at. Let me challenge you with this thought. I believe it's far more likely that you are in a crossover moment right now than that you are not. It's far more likely you're there. You might not even realize it. You might not even have have become aware of the fact of what God has in store for you if you'll take that next step. It's far more likely that you're in one than that you're not in one. So let's take this to a second truth. Second thing, number one, life's a series of crossover moments. Number two, crossing over is not easy. Sometimes we think if I'm going to move forward, then it's all going to be easy, that it's all going to be simple, and here's here's the bottom line truth. Crossing over is not easy. We look at the children of Israel. This is the most important moment in their history up to this point. And when do they do it? They do it at flood stage. They do it when it's difficult. They do it when there's obstacles. They do it when it seems impossible. They literally do it when they're in over their head. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if God's moving you forward, that it's going to be easy. In fact, crossover moments often come at the worst times and in the trickiest places, just like it did for the Israelites. But here's the truth. Let me remind you of this. Because you may be at a moment where, where God is, is leading you in your marriage, in your home, in your job, whatever it might be, to kind of take that, that next step in some way towards him. And you might say, boy, this seems like it's not going to be easy. Be reminded of this, that God's faithfulness in the past reminds you of his ability today, doesn't it? Reminds you of what he can do today. Think about this. Here are the Israelites. They're standing at the Jordan River. It's a raging body of water. They've got to get to the other side. When was the last time that the Israelites stood at a big body of water? Do you remember? The Red Sea with Moses, right? God didn't do so bad there, did he? You can trust him. Because his faithfulness in the past reminds you of his ability to be with you in the future. Third observation, just a third quick thing about crossing over, and it's this, that crossing over is necessary for victory. 
Crossing over is necessary for victory. For the Israelites, the only way they were going to get into the promised land was to cross the Jordan River. They had to do it. They had to physically make the move. It wasn't coming to them. They had to go into it. Now, you don't have to cross over. Nobody's forcing you to. But you will miss out on God's blessing. You'll miss out on the promised land unless you're willing to take those steps and trust him. There's no promised land if you stay where you are. So then all of this leads me to, to ask this, this question. And I hope, I hope you'll see this because each week we're building on these thoughts as we move forward into the book of Joshua. If we want to get into the promised land, how are we going to do it? Because for many of us, we've, we've pushed in one way or another to get into our own place of promise. Success, prosperity, happiness, joy, whatever. We've pushed in a certain way. We've tried to get there And we have to ask the question, what is the key? As we read through this story in Joshua chapter 3, and we'll read through most of it here in just a moment. As we read through it, I hope you'll recognize this. This story, even though Joshua is the main character, it's not about him. And it's not about the Israelites. And it's not about a river. If this crossing of the Jordan River is the big game, if this is the Super Bowl, then God is the MVP in this story. Nine times this story mentions the Ark of of the covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with Old Testament history, the Ark of the Covenant was this box that was crafted, and it was it was very ornate, it was very special, and it was crafted when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, and it was in the tabernacle, the place where they would worship God. And the idea was that this box represented God's presence. Now, it wasn't an idol; it was just a physical reminder, and they would even take it into battle with them at times. It was a reminder of God's physical presence. Nine times in this story, what we see is that the ark is mentioned and that God's presence, his work, had to be at the center of it all if they were going to cross over into this next season. So you can never enter into the promised land unless God is at the center of it all. You will never enter into the promised land unless God is at the center of it all. These, these are the keys to my minivan. That's right, I said minivan. I'm proud of it. And uh, it's got one of these um, deals on it. I know it's got a technical name, but we, we call it the clicker that's on here. And what it does is if you push the button, you click it, it does something, right? And I've got a pretty cool one here because I can lock my van, I can unlock my minivan, I can start my van. If you're walking towards me and you look creepy, I can set off the alarm, Right? Then, it's got these buttons over here that if I push them, the doors will open on the side doors, the passengers, the, the, the sliding side doors, they'll open on their own. And sometimes, I'll just push those buttons just because I can, because I'm a bad man, right? <laughs> I just do that. Here's the problem. About six months or so ago, my, my clicker stopped working. It doesn't work anymore. And some of you are thinking, change the battery, idiot. I did, all right? It's still not working. All right? It's just not working. And I don't, I don't know what the deal is. And there's something weird with the van. Because sometimes it locks. And I probably shouldn't tell you this. Sometimes it doesn't lock. And, uh, but we can lock it. Like it's just not with a clicker, you know. And, and so that's how it works. And the other thing that's funny is sometimes when the locks get messed up, if you go to open it, the alarm goes off. Which is really funny when it happens to Rhonda. Sorry, it just is. And um, this happens. So my clicker just really is, is worthless. It doesn't work anymore. Now, some of you don't have this kind of clicker. I've been around some of you. You have a newer car, so you have kind of this high-tech clicker that you never even have to take out of your pocket. Do you know what I mean? 
And it just stays in your pocket or in your purse. And if you just get close enough and you reach out and open the door, it like unlocks on its own. Have you ever seen those cars? I've, I've had one a couple of times. I've been traveling like a rental. And you just, you just walk. It's like the force. You just walk up and you, you touch that and you open that. And I've watched you do that. Some of you, like you're just walking and you're just like, you just reach over. And you're so full of yourself as you open your door and you get in. And you're like, I got my clicker, you know, and you've got that going on. You think you're so bad and you don't even, you don't even have to take it out of your pocket to start the car. You just push the button because it's just this presence that's there that's with you that, that is the key to starting this. Now think about this. Some of us are working with some sorry clicker in our lives and we're trying to push all the buttons ourselves the key to you entering into the promised land is the presence of god that's with you does that make sense now listen to this this is key catch this because this whole story will not make sense unless you grasp this point the key to crossing over into the promised land is the presence of god It's the presence of God at work in your life, at work with you. If you try to find success or prosperity or help or health or anything else on your own outside of him, it will be hollow and it will fall short. The truth is this. The key to crossing over into the promised land, this is in your marriage, this is in your finances, this is in your workplace, this is just in the back of your head. The key is the presence of God. So let's do this. We're going to read through this story And as we do, I want to give you six crossing over truths about the presence of God. We'll see this as we read through this story. We'll highlight quickly these six things, six crossing over truths about the presence of God. And I believe this, you might not be in a major crossover moment, but you are at some moment where God is leading you to move forward. And as we look at this, the Holy Spirit's going to whisper to you about those things in your life. And I hope you'll be open to hear those things. So let's start here. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Let's jump into our story. It says, early in the morning... Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. And do you remember we said the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God? Okay, so cool, you're with us. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know Which way to go since you have never been this way before? The people didn't know where they were going. The promised land was something brand new to them. How are they going to know what steps to take? How are they going to know what direction to go? They needed someone to guide them. And the Ark of the Covenant, this, this reference, and you'll notice as we read through this, there is no mention of Indiana Jones, which I was shocked. And uh, it's, it's not in there. But the Ark of the Covenant is, is not just some military maneuveral thing. This is the presence of God on display, on procession, leading them as they go. It's not just something to just disregard. God's presence is going with them in to claim the land. Here's the first thing I'll, I, I hope you'll see is that God's presence gives direction. Number one, God's presence gives direction. He guides us, leads us. At some point, we have to ask ourselves this question, where is my life heading? What direction am I going in? And one of the most fundamental questions that we have to ask in our life is, is where are we headed? Or maybe even more, who are we following? This is why when we speak about becoming a Christian, oftentimes we'll use the language that Jesus used. He asked people to follow him, to go in the same direction that he was going, to not just know about him, but to be a follower of Christ. 
So what direction are you heading in? Well, why this is so important is because you will never arrive if you're not heading in the right direction. <laughs> the truth is, so many times, we, we don't know what direction our life is going in because we've not really taken time to consider. What, where am I headed? Who am I following? So many times we wander around lost because we refuse to pull into a gas station and just ask, right? You don't have to admit it. You just know it's true. The other side is this. So many times in life, we, we don't know where we're headed because we've never asked the creator of ourselves what direction he wants us to go in. Now, I think this so clearly applies to those of you who, who are students. Maybe you're in junior high, senior high. Maybe you're in college. And you come up to these moments. And like we said earlier, oftentimes they come with an awful lot of pressure. Where do I go? Where am I headed? And the truth is, we will be overwhelmed by those moments unless we already know that we're following a certain direction. We're following God. And we're going where he's leading us. How do we do that? Well, the Bible helps us. Psalm 119. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 119, verse 9. He says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says it even more clearly in verse 105 of Psalm 119. He says, your word, speaking to the Lord, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. If you want to know, God, what direction do you have for me? Where is it that you want me to go? It's critical that we welcome the presence of God to lead us in our lives. Now, this is, this is a point that as we, we move on, we're going to look at six of these things very quickly. Here's the first one. It'd be easy for us to just kind of dismiss this when I know quite clearly that for some of you, this is really important today because you're standing at that crossover moment and you're not sure, where, where do I go? What do I do here? What decision do I make? And so can we do this because we believe that when we gather together like this, that, that God's presence is here, true? Can we stop right now and, and just ask him? So would you pray with me? Father, we, we come to you. And Lord, in just this quick 60-second prayer, Lord, we ask you for direction. Your word says that we have not because we ask not. And you make it very clear in James chapter 1 that if anyone lacks wisdom, if they don't know what to do, that they can ask you and that you will generously give us wisdom and guidance. And as this verse tells us, direction. And so, Lord, there's some of us that are here today that what we desperately need from you is direction. Lord, we need direction in our schooling or in our job. We need direction in our relationships or maybe, God, just in the, in the way that we're to think and to move forward in our lives. So, Lord, just as the Israelites were able to see the ark, we pray that by your Spirit we would clearly know where you would have us to go. Lord, would you give us direction, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's jump back in. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 4, Joshua is continuing to give instructions here, and he says this, But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, that, that would be a space of about 1,000 yards, so about 10 football fields, right? But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it, Joshua told the people. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, why, why would he say, keep a distance between you and the ark? It's because the ark was holy. You know, as we talk about God giving us direction, about God's presence with us, we're not talking about him like he's our lucky rabbit foot or, or some kind of spiritual GPS. 
See, God is so much more than that. We can't dismiss his greatness and who he is. So what Joshua says to the people is, look, keep your distance from the ark because it's holy, because it's special. And he says, you need to consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow then, the Lord's going to do amazing things among you. So here's what he's saying. If you want God to do amazing things, you need to make yourself ready. What does that term mean? Because we don't use that word consecrate very often. I think that's what you do when you're taking a test. You really need to consecrate, right? <laughs> nah, different word, different word. What's it mean? Well, when Moses used it in Exodus, he was um, preparing the people for the law, and he told them to consecrate themselves. He gives them instruction. He says, make sure you cleanse yourself. Make yourself clean. And he says, abstain from sexual relations for a period of time. So in that particular instance, that was the idea of consecration. Here's what it means. It means make yourself ready for what God is about to do. Whatever that may mean. Whatever it is that you have to do, make yourself ready. So here's what we see. Here's a second truth that's that's clear about crossing over. That God's presence calls for consecration. God's presence calls for consecration. It calls us to make ourselves ready. Now this this will be in large part what we'll unpack next week when we get to Joshua chapter 5. And we talk about how do we prepare ourselves so that we're ready for God to do a special move in our lives. And and to follow him and what he has to do. But here's the premise. The Ark of the Covenant is leading them to cross the Jordan River. They don't know what's going to happen yet. They just know it's going to be incredible. And here's the truth. Someone holy is about to do something holy, so you must be holy. God, who is holy, is about to do something amazing. He's about to do a holy act. And if that's the case, if you want to participate in what God is about to do, then it's, it's critical that you be holy as well. Someone holy is about to do something holy, so you must be holy. You must make yourself ready for what God is about to do where's 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 the breakthrough that you need that that it's time for you to prepare for maybe think of it this way is is there somebody that you would love to meet you you just think man i would just it would it would be an honor to meet this person maybe they're a musician or a movie star an athlete a politician pastor at calvary I, i don't know but you just say look i would love to meet that person what if I walked up to you after church and I said, not only do you get to meet that person, but tomorrow night at six o'clock, they're coming to your house for dinner. All of a sudden, you would go from, wow, that's really cool, to we got to get home, right? What would you do? You'd clean your house. You would make sure that it was the best meal that you could prepare. Some of you would actually go out and rent new furniture for a week so that you could impress these people. You would prepare yourself for someone special who was going to come. That's consecration. That's making yourself ready. Some of you are entrepreneurs who are looking to launch something new. Some of you in your workplace, you find yourself up against an ethical dilemma almost on a daily basis. What do I do? Do I do what's convenient or I do what I know is right before God? And in those moments, you you have to consecrate yourself. Next week, we'll take some more time and unpack this, but it's so, it's so important for us to see. Let's go back to our story. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 6, so Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. 
Now, it's important for you to see that before the people entered into this place that was miraculous, God had already gone before them. Third truth, God's presence goes before us. God's presence goes before us. In fact, it goes on to say this, Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Mosquito Bites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Well, I love it when you're listening. See the ark of the covenant of the, of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Some of you are like, oh, what happened? <laughs> That'll teach you. God's presence goes before us. He leads the way. Sometimes we think that we're venturing out into this, that we don't know that he's at work. But watch this. God's presence goes before you and prepares the way. God goes before you and he prepares the way. Sometimes you say, yeah, I believe that. And then when I get there, he leaves me there. (laughs) He leaves me just there to, to fend for myself. I was driving past an elementary school the other day, and it was, it was as kids were um, walking to school. And so I, I was right at the crosswalk, and as I got up to it, this probably, I'm going to guess about a fifth grader, walks out into the middle of the crosswalk wearing an orange vest and carrying a little neon flag. He was the least intimidating figure I have ever seen in my life. But there were a couple little kindergartners that were behind him. So he walked out into the middle of the street, literally holding his vest and his flag and waited for a man in a minivan with a clicker that doesn't work to stop. And he stood right there in front of me until those other two little kids were able to cross the street and get where they needed to go, staring me down the whole time, right? You know why? Because he wasn't going to let anything happen until they got to the other side. Now, here's a, here's a spoiler alert for you. Here's what's about to happen in just a moment. As the Israelites go to cross this river, if you don't know the story, God will literally, at the spigot, turn off the water, and the river's going to stop. And when they cross, they cross on dry land. But listen to what happens. Let's fast forward to verse 17. It tells us this. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Sometimes you felt like God has left you out to drown. That he led you somewhere and then left you there. Here's the truth from the practice of Joshua 3 and the principles we see in his word that God will be with you until you reach the other side. He's not going to leave you there. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it feels. I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be easy. It's not easy parenting your grandkids. It's not easy parenting your parents. It's not easy walking through these changes or these seasons. It's unique for us as a church because we're in this season of transition that we've talked about. We don't know how all the leadership will play out. We just know this, that God has gone before us and he's not going to leave us out to drown. But he does ask us to do our part. Go back to the story, Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. It says, And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So Joshua's given instructions here. He says, look, God's going to turn the water off. So as soon as the priests have their feet hit the water, it's going to happen. And that's where I would go, time out, God. How about this? I love you and I trust you. How about as soon as you turn it off, my feet will hit the water. I'm not real crazy about this. As soon as my feet hit the water, then you'll turn it off. And God says, are are you serious? 
God, I trust you. I know you can do it. All right, then trust me and get your feet wet. Have you ever heard that phrase, getting your feet wet? This is where it comes from. This is where it originates. Joshua chapter 3. Fast forward to verse 15. Watch what happens with the priests. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge. We'll see what happens next. But did you see what was required? They had to take that step of faith. They had to trust him. Fourth thing we see in this story. God's presence moves us to act in faith. God's presence moves us to act in faith. And we like to think that we have this crazy faith, but we want God to show up first. The truth is, oftentimes, God says, if you trust me, go ahead and take the first step. God may wait for us to step out in faith before he opens the way. It's just the truth of scripture. It's just a fact of life. It's obedience. It's in the big opportunities. It's in the everyday opportunities. Sometimes, when it's time for you to share your faith, you open your mouth and then the words come. Sometimes, you reach out in an act of kindness and then the breakthrough happens. Sometimes, you follow biblical principles with your finances and then the unbelievable blessings follow you. And I don't know why it works that way. Maybe it's God's way of saying, do you really trust me? Sometimes, God asks us to move first. God's presence moves us to act in faith. And when we do, what happens? Go back to chapter 3, Joshua 3, verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Here's the fifth thing I hope you'll see about God's presence in these crossover moments, that God's presence brings the miraculous. God's presence brings the miraculous. He declares his goodness. This is our encouragement that in these times when we are in crossover moments, we can trust him in our finances, in our times of sickness, when a relationship seems too broken, we can trust him because the presence of God brings the power of God to supernaturally provide victory. The presence of God brings the power of God to supernaturally provide victory. Let me, let me um, just share a quick story from our history as a church. Some of you have heard this before, but many of you, especially if you've come to the church just in the last couple of years, you may never have heard this story. When God stirred in our hearts to relocate from Glendale to Conant Street, we, we went through that process and we were obedient. And in a certain sense, much like the, the Israelites, we were kind of getting our feet wet. We didn't know exactly how God was going to play this out. We just sensed him leading us to do that. And so we purchased this facility in December of 2010. And then in, the, in that winter and spring of 2011, we began the process of, okay, God, we, we were obedient. Now what? <laughs> certain sense, architecturally, financially, what's it going to take for us to relocate? 
And at some point in, in August of that year, 2011, we had to make a decision. Do we cross over or do we not? How do we move forward with this? Do we wait until we're more financially stable? God, do we wait until things maybe make more sense? God, is this even the right thing? What do we do? And, and I, I can't even begin to, to give you in words the tension that we felt in that meeting. And we were meeting out just here in, in the atrium. We were having our, our meeting over here that night. So we set up a couple of tables out in what's our atrium now. Back then we still had the casino carpeting. Does anybody remember that? Have you ever seen a movie here? We had the casino carpeting. We had the, the, the big concession stand was out there. And we had tables that were set up there. And we were meeting. And the question just came, now what? What do we do? God, we're not sure exactly what steps we're supposed to take. Do we move forward? And I remember one of our board members in particular just saying, look, how can we not? We believe that God has brought us to this point. So we need to pull the trigger and take the next steps and do what we need to do. That was Thursday night. Friday morning, there was a phone call from a gentleman here at Calvary. And he said, can I come in and, and meet with you? So we scheduled a meeting later in the day with myself and our business administrator. And we sat down in our business administrator's office. And, and this gentleman says, now look, I know you haven't started your fundraising deal yet. We hadn't started raising money for the building. And in a church, we call it a capital campaign because that sounds very safe. He called it the fundraising deal. And that's what it is. And he said, look, I know you haven't started your fundraising deal yet. But I feel like God's put in my heart that I'm supposed to give something. He says, and I really think I'm supposed to give Because God wants Calvary and its leadership to know that he's moving us forward. So is it okay if I go ahead and give now a a gift of $130,000? My first thought, boy, that'll buy a lot of clickers. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. But that's a lot of cash. We're like, sure, if you want to give that, knock yourself out. Right? Thursday night, we took a step of faith. Friday morning, God showed up with a financial miracle. Does it always happen within 24 hours? (laughs) No. But does he always come through? Yeah. Do you know why? Sixth thing. Let me show you one last thing from this story about God and his presence. Number six, God's presence declares his greatness. God's presence declares his greatness. The children of Israel stood at the edge of the Jordan River. It was the boundary. It was what held them back from where they were to the promises that God had in place for them. And on the other side of that river were the Canaanites. They were people who didn't worship the same God that the Israelites worshipped, the one true God of Israel. They worshipped a bunch of different gods, what we would call pagan gods, what we would call... Idols, and they worshipped all these different idols. And one of the idols that they worshipped, one of the gods that they had, was a god of water. So the river was more than just a boundary. The river meant more to them. It had to do with their worship. It had to do with their life, because life came out of the river. And they, they worshipped, in a sense, what was going on there. And so the Israelites are on one side, and the Canaanites are on the other. And they're standing there, and they're watching. And they serve a god of the river. And Israel stood there, and they got their feet wet. And you know what happened when they did? That the one true god... The God that Israel served manhandled that river, didn't he? He stopped it in its flood stage so that the people of Israel could cross over on dry ground. And he was shouting to the whole world that he is the living God. That there is no other God. That there is no other way. That if you want to know joy and if you want to know peace and if you want to live in his promise, you can try it on your own, but you're just going to fall short. 
He is the living God. What's so cool about this story is you can read it. And you could get distracted very quickly and think that Joshua is the star of the show. And he's not. And you could think that the Israelites are who this book's all about. They're not really. And this story's not about a river. It's not even about a miracle. You know what this story's about? This story's about a God who is a living God who manhandles any other idol that may come into your life. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to prove this point to you, didn't he? Because Jesus lived a life without sin. He lived a life without failure. Then he died on the cross. And he walked up to the ultimate crossover moment of death. And he manhandled death, didn't he? So that you and I could know life. He is the living God. So I don't know what your river is. I don't know what your moment is. I don't know where it is that you need to cross over. I just know this, that this story reminds us that God's the star of the show. And with his presence in your life, you'll not only cross over, you'll cross over into a land of promise like you could never believe. That's the good news, and that's what it's all about. So, so would you do this? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Here's why. Because in this moment, I, I don't want you to be distracted. But I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Because for some of you, there's a crossover moment in front of you. We've highlighted some big ones today. But I think it's far more likely that you're in one than that you're not in one. And it may have to do with your children. And it may have to do with your parents. It may have to do with your family. And it may have to do with with your job. It may have to do with opportunity that you've dreamed of. And it may have to do with a situation that you only feared would come upon you. It may be something that's known to everybody around you. Or it may be just buried in the back of your mind. And you would be terrified if anyone else knew. You just know you're at a, you're at a moment. And God's calling you to get your feet wet. And to cross over from where you are. Into the promise that he has for you. And I don't know if that's physical. I don't know if that's emotional. I don't know if that's spiritual. You do, though, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart. And what God is is wanting you to hear today, whether you're sitting in this sanctuary or you're over an auditorium too, whether you're watching this online or you're seeing this on television, what God is speaking to you today is He says, let me be the star of the show. Let my presence direct you. Trust me to go before you. And when you get your feet wet and step out, realize that I'll bring that miraculous response to declare to everyone that I am the living God. And just very simply, I want to pray with you today. And if you are in a crossover moment and you would say, God, I need your presence in my life this day. Would you stand right where you are? Just don't hesitate. That's you. Say, I'm in a crossover moment. God, I need your presence. I need you to lead me. I need you in my life right now, this day. Father, we we stand at the edge of not a physical river, but God, at the edge of a place where where we can see that it's, it's a moment for us to cross over. 
to go from where we are to where you want for us to be. And Lord, you, you know this. You know where it is in the life of our families. You know where it is in the life of our, of, our, of our homes, of our jobs, of our finances, in our hearts. God, I don't have to define it because by your spirit, you're speaking this to people's lives today. And so Lord, I stand with those who are standing and affirm, God, that we put our trust in you. Lord, would you give us the direction that we need to go in? Lord, would you help us to be holy so that someone holy can do something holy among us? God, we trust you to go before us. And that as we get our feet wet, God, we know that you can do the miraculous. And Lord, we will be quick to declare that what happens in our lives is because we have put our confidence and trust in the living God. And so, Lord, just like you did to Joshua, Lord, I pray with those standing today that you would whisper to our hearts to be strong and courageous, to not be afraid, to not be discouraged, but to trust you and know that you're with us everywhere that we go. Lord, help us to see these crossover moments as great opportunities for your blessing, Lord, and your kingdom to be realized like never before. Now, Lord, as we go from here, I pray that you'd go with us. God, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Hang on to his word in these crossover moments. We'll see you next Sunday.